Awesome. Well, it's great to have you with us. It's great to be with you. Kathy and I had some time off in the last uh, wee while. We were here last week, but before that we had some rest. Rest is really important. Rest is something that God's designed for us, and rest is something he's beginning to, as you heard in her communion message, he's something that God really has on his heart for us. So you can expect to hear more about that as we um, progress, but not today. Today, I kind of bring uh, an apology, and I bring a confession. Everyone looks nervous when I start like that. Um, The apology at the beginning is really uh, on behalf of God, I feel to apologise to you because you've been completely set up this morning. Um, The Lord spoke to me during the week, gave me a passage of Scripture, which I then had to go and find out why He gave me that Scripture, which you're about to hear. Uh, In addition to that, the Lord said that today was really about us coming to a place of surrender. And then we get to church this morning after I've done my week-long preparation and prayer and Haley has prepared the worship team and led them and, and they feel the same. And then Kathy prepared her communion message independent to what I'm doing and she felt the same. So there's the three, three parts of the cord that can't be broken. So apologies, you've been set up. Lock the doors, it's going to be a good one. And uh, let's just open ourselves up to what God wants to do, eh? Would you do that? Yeah, the confession will come as I share the message because this is really a message for me, to me, and you get to listen. Uh, So uh, God is good like that. Okay, so the title of today's message is The Goal of Life. And the statement around that is the goal of life is not to be a loser. And I want you to uh, hold on to that because Jesus is going to explain that. The goal of life comes out of a heading in one of the Bibles I was reading this week. And the subline is, uh, well, that's just uh, part of what Jesus wants to communicate. The goal of life is not to be a loser. Over the past uh, month, maybe six weeks, um, I've been reading a book that was given to us. Actually, it was given to Kathy, but I'm reading it. And it's called The Ragamuffin Gospel. And it's written by a guy called uh, Brennan Manning. Has anyone heard of this or even read it? Kathy's the only one. Okay, so a really interesting book, really hard to get into, but the guy's um, got some really amazing insights. And the concept of the title Ragamuffin um, Gospel is that he says we are all ragamuffins before the Lord of grace. And we should not forget that. In fact, we would do well to remember that more often. And as Ash spoke uh, well last week, you know, we're often happy to come before the God of grace but we forget that we come before the sovereign Lord Almighty who created everything. And that tension between a God of grace and a God of the fear of the Lord as she spoke on. But then I came to this quote, and um, this really hit me hard, and so I'm going to share it with you. Most Christians, he says, are a poor billboard for a life of faith in Jesus Christ. I'll read again in case you didn't catch it. Most Christians are a poor billboard for a life of faith in Jesus Christ. Well, we would pray before I start. Um, Jesus, we thank you that you're with us by your spirit. We thank you that when you come, you come in love and grace. Lord, I speak against any condemnation that might try and enter into this message or this room this morning. 
that what we hear, we hear from you directly. Lord, I submit my words to you, my testimony to you, that through me, people would not hear just me, but they'd hear you. And the Holy Spirit speaking deep into the core of their heart, the wooing of Jesus himself into life more fulfilling, more Christ-like, more abundant, more kingdom, more liberating, more joyful. So Jesus, we thank you that you're working here today. Amen. Hey, um, I'm not sure what you think about that quote from the book. I, I like to quote people that say harsh things so that I don't get blamed for it. But uh, the point is, it really hit me, and it hit me quite hard. And, and, and followers of Jesus, I, I think the author goes on to say, I'm not going to quote because I'm going by memory now, but he goes on to say, look, Christians should be the most exciting people to be around. We should be the most hope-filled people in our community to be around. But that ain't always the case. And... And I start my confession here, you know, I've got to be honest with you. Um, lately, as I look in the mirror, you know, I, I see someone that's, that's kind of been dragging their feet a bit. I see someone that's got their shoulders hunched in there and their head down. You know, I see someone that's dragging their hope behind them like a broken limb. And that's not the hope of the gospel. This morning, you're going to find out why. Not from me, but from Paul. Because the thing is, if Christians are a poor billboard for faith in Jesus Christ, then we've got to find out what the solution is. Would that be a good idea? Okay, so we've got a problem. We need to find a solution. And the solution to the problem is not God doing something. He's done it all. The completed, finished work of Jesus Christ makes everything available for you and me. Where's the problem? It's with us. So it's about us finding where God wants us to be and, and, and then we've got to find our way into that place where we would become like the early disciples who were literally quoted as turning the entire world upside down. That's what the church should be. That's what you should be. That's what I should be. That's what we should be collectively. We should be the most attractive thing for everybody in Te Aumudu. Not just we, this place, but the Christian church. We've got to become more like Jesus. We've got to live a life that other people want to discover. And that comes through our life. I mean, we j- joked about it before. You might remember that song, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Yeah. Well, we should be showing the world that we're happy. Scripture tells us, as I prayed, that, that the mystery of of the ages that Paul uncovers through revelation of Jesus is that the mystery is Christ in us, the hope of glory. And that's the way we should be living. Maybe we should be telling ourselves if we're happy and we know it, let's tell our faces. Because this is the billboard. I mean, you laugh, but pre-believers in your life, your neighbours, your friends, your family, I don't know if this is, is, I'm just going to say the obvious. They don't read the Bible and they don't talk to God. What they're doing every day is they're reading your life. The question is, what message are they reading? And, And man, I'm challenged by this. I've been challenging myself as I look in the mirror. And so my challenge becomes your challenge. You're welcome. 
So we're gonna we're gonna follow along with the Apostle Paul because the Apostle Paul, um, you know, he he didn't have it as tough as us. You know, like he didn't have Wi-Fi going down um, in the middle of a, a rugby game, or he didn't have stress. You know, because his boss was just saying nasty words to him. Uh, he didn't he didn't have financial troubles at all. But what he did have is he says this in Second Corinthians eleven. I just uh, got this before five times. Paul writes five times. The Jewish leaders gave me thirty nine lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day at sea adrift. I've travelled on long journeys. I've faced dangers from rivers and robbers. I've faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced danger in the cities and the deserts and on the seas. I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. And I've worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. We think we've got life tough. And yet Paul gives us the answer and in the context of him understanding his journey, he writes us a letter. He writes a letter to us and it's the letter called Philippians. Now I want you to understand that Paul writes this letter from prison. He is captive in Rome. He has been subjected to uh, some not nice treatment. Actually, now he's sitting in house arrest. So he's been in the dungeon. He's got out. He's sitting in this house. He gets to share and write his letters and have visitors. But nonetheless, he's lived that life. He's in prison and he wants to encourage us. And as I read Philippians, as I encourage you to do, I discover it's a letter of joy. What an oxymoron. Paul in prison, suffering from the wounds of his beatings, writes the letter of joy. Maybe there's something for us this morning. Maybe there's something for us. So let's look at this letter of Philippians. We're going to jump straight to chapter 3. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, jump through this and give you some teaching this morning and show you how to, to feed on it. So uh, Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to read... Verse 1. Where is verse 1? should come up. There it is. Look at that. Isn't that great? So whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. In this passage, I've been reading it in five different versions this week, trying to wrestle with, um, I suppose, my thinking and to bypass my thinking to come to a place of revelation. And I find personally reading different versions of the Bible helps with that. And um, one guy uh, who wrote a book called The Passion, he wrote this. In thinking about those words, he wrote, My beloved ones, don't ever limit your joy or fail to rejoice in the wonderful experience of knowing our Lord Jesus. What's he trying to say? He's trying to say the same thing. He's trying to say, guys, don't ever limit your joy or fail. What does that mean? Well, it's possible for you to limit your joy or to fail to rejoice. So we've got to come past that. And thankfully, he gives us that in the passage. So let's go back to uh, the Bible that I read devotionally, which is the one here. It's the NLT. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. He says, I, I never get tired of telling you this. Look at this phrase. I never get tired of telling you this message. 
Well, what does that mean? Well, I looked at that. Do you know in Philippians, there's 104 verses, and 16 times he says you must rejoice or you must rest in Jesus. You must be grateful for what he's done. 16 times in 104 verses. He's like, I'm not getting tired of telling you because it's a really important thing. The other thing that I noticed when I read this is he says, I do it to safeguard your faith. What does that mean? Well, it means we're in danger. There is a huge risk you're about to see that we could have our joy stolen from us or in fact, give it away. There's a huge risk. He says, look, the safeguarding of your faith depends on this, he writes. So it's quite important. It's quite important that we understand what Paul's trying to get to as the key and there is only one key and you see it here in the verse. I'm gonna give you the answer because I'm gonna be trying to be nice to you a little bit. Sometimes. What is the key in this verse? It's on screen. Just let, look, look at the screen. What's the key in the verse? Everybody look. Rejoice in the Lord. That's the key in this passage. Paul is writing to the church and saying to safeguard your faith, I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to say it again. Rejoice in the Lord. If you're happy and you know it, tell your face. All right? You can clap as well, because that's good. But the point is, he's saying, what's, what's in you that is coming out of you? What is in you that's coming out of you? You know, Paul had a tough time, and yet he writes, rejoice in the Lord. He writes in, in the book of Thessalonians, rejoice always. When did he write that letter? He wrote that letter 10 years before he wrote this one. So he's been harping on about this for 10 years. He wrote it to the church in Rome when he wrote Romans in 57 AD. Four years before he wrote this. Oh, I pray that you would rejoice. He wrote it in Colossians when he wrote the book, the letter to the church in Colossae one year before this. He's like, oh, that you would rejoice in Jesus. Oh, he's got one message. Tapping on. Because it's important to us. So let's find out why. Because it's, it's not easy, to be honest with you. Um, we've come up with what I discover as enemies of joy. And we find them in the Scripture but the enemies of joy um, come against us. So Jesus has given that joy, but sometimes we either give it away or it gets taken from us. And we've got to safeguard our faith. This is what Paul is telling us to do. So let's look at the very next verse. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. Uh-oh. We've got three enemies right in this verse. Dogs, people who do evil, and mutilators. What is Paul doing here? Don't catch the cynicism and the cleverness of Paul. Paul is trained under a Jewish rabbi, Gamaliel. He's a lawyer. He's used to arguing, but he's very witty. And if you remember in the Gospels, the Jews used to call Gentiles dogs. Dogs were not favoured because they were mostly wild. You don't have a pet puppy like what we've got that's cute and sits on your lap. In these days, you had this rabid, angry dog that sat at the door in case robbers came to your house. So Paul, Paul's, Paul's playing on citizen here and he's mutilators. Like, like if you read a more modern or uh, literal translation, it's like, watch out for those who cut you. So what's, what's going on here? 
Here it is. The first enemy of joy you've got to watch out for is others. And too many times I find myself, because this is my confession, you can just come along for the ride, I find myself in a place where my joy in my life is dependent on you or my family or my friends or the people that I'm connected to in life and business. And when I hand over the power for my joy to be dependent on others, suddenly I become victim to dogs, people who do evil, and to mutilators. And Paul's saying, watch out. Because if you get your joy from other people, you will live a life of disappointment. So what is he saying in that? Well, lucky for you, I decided to have a look at it. Because we've got to be super careful about who we're allowing to speak into our lives. In the Jewish time, as I said, in the context of the original scripture, dogs were rabid and wild and not trained and they would sit at the door and they would bark and keep people out of your house. They're barking, they're all about intimidation and they're about creating fear. Well, don't write names down, but you might think of someone in your life like that. But what does that look like in a community? Idle chatter, gossip, criticism, putting people down to lift ourselves up. Paul's saying, watch out for those dogs. Hmm. Like I said, it's a challenge. What about evildoers? Well, I, I kind of looked into this and, and it was about the, he was specifically speaking about Jewish Pharisees, the scribes of the law who would have their tassels on tassels and their herbs um, in, their, in their right boxes and they would, they would um, you know, they wouldn't even um, brush their teeth on the Sabbath because that was work. That's a joke. Did they brush their teeth in those days? I wonder what they used. Pumice? Ooh. Charcoal. Okay. Evildoers, this is what I discovered Paul meant. People in your life who impose burdens on you. You know, we, we can be robbed of joy when other people's expectations hold us back from experiencing what Jesus has got for us. What I call performance-based burdens, performance-based love. I'll only accept you or, or treat you right if you do what I want. When we give that power to someone else, we end up suffering under selfish motives. This could be looking like manipulation. This could be looking like self-serving or unreasonable demands. Paul says you've got to guard your faith. More importantly, you've got to guard your heart. Be careful about evildoers. And then we came to mutilators. That there is a circumcision knife. So I decided I wouldn't come up with any examples for this one. The picture Paul is, is writing about is the inner work of Christ, not the external work of man. Okay? The deep work that Jesus wants to do in my life and your life, if you're willing, is inner. It's inward transformation. It's the, what, what he does talk about is the inner circumcision of the heart. It means less of me and more of Jesus. That's the whole point of talking about mutilators, and we won't put any more pictures up. 
Praise God, he gives us the answer in the very next verse. How do we overcome this enemy? Have a look at this. This is Philippians 3, verse 3. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. How much of your salvation was by your work? Just checking. What do you think? Some people in the front row are saying none, but beyond the second row, we've got no answers. Nothing you did got you saved. Nothing you do is going to get you transformed on the inside. We have to rely on the work of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. So we've got to turn away from the enemy and turn to the source of our joy. We've got to understand what Paul is trying to explain to us here. But how many of you know, just when you feel like you're making progress and you're you're getting on track with things and, and, and life's going well because you've had you know, an amazing time. Maybe like you came to our worship night the other night and, and God really ministered to you or you've had an amazing connect group time and prayer with your friends and, and it's just going awesome, isn't it? You have that sometimes? Occasionally, the roller coaster comes up. Yeah? And then all of a sudden, something else happens. There's no sound on this, but I just thought I'd just show you that sometimes life isn't always easy. Sometimes we can be going through life and something good to take us out. And life's not, not a challenge. You know, Paul didn't stop when he got his first whipping or his second whipping or his third whipping. Paul went on a ship knowing that he was going to get shipwrecked and that he was going to be in trouble. So, so there's a tension in life, isn't there? Because we can be carrying along and watch out for the car, uh, but we could be carrying along, doing our thing. You know, you don't see now, but look, there's a guy gassing up his truck and he's like, oh, hang on. <laughs> tension in life, eh? So please, if you're not feeling like this message is for you today, remember it for tomorrow. Because if you don't have a problem with dogs or evildoers, maybe you've got a problem with the next one. Because the very next verse talks about the next enemy of our joy. Paul writes, I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could, indeed, he says, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. Dude was well qualified to say this. He says, I've done everything. I'm awesome. You think you're good? Well, listen to my pedigree. And then he goes on to list it in the next two verses, which I won't go into. What's the second enemy to your joy? You are. Well, let's wait. I am. I am the next enemy to my own joy. I've got to be careful that I don't rely on me. And Paul quotes this in verse 5 and 6 and gives us four things to watch out for while we're making sure we don't see joy stolen by what we do. The first one in verse 5, he says, I was circumcised when I was eight, pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Israel. You can put a whole lot of confidence in your position, your title, your role, or your gifts. And if you put confidence in that, Paul says, watch out. Your faith is at risk because this is an enemy of your joy. In verse 5, he also says, oh, I was a real Hebrew if ever I was one. 
a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. See, in the, with the picture of the ruler there, you can have confidence in your standards, in your obedience, in how you follow the rules. And sometimes we make rules an object of our worship instead of the one who we seek to worship. But Paul says, I would be making a mistake if I just relied on the fact that I was a Pharisee, then I am my own enemy. Verse 6, he goes on to say, I was so zealous, I harshly persecuted the church. Awesome. No. But he says, look at my outcomes, look at my achievements, look at my results, look at all the great things that I was doing for God. And then he had a falling off the donkey moment and Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? When he stood there and watched Stephen be stoned to death, Jesus himself stood in heaven knowing that he too was being persecuted by Paul, who was then Saul. So results, outcomes, accolades, they're not going to help us find joy. And lastly, he says, As for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. You know, sometimes we can have our own purity and righteousness up as an idol, thinking that we're better than someone else. Oh man, I can't believe that they're going through that. They must be bad parents. I mean, you've probably never thought that. Paul gives us these warnings that we can be the worst enemy for our own joy when we place the need for joy into our results or who we are or what we do, we fail and we fall short. But praise God, Paul gives us the answer in the next verse, in verse 7. Once I thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless. What is the key here? Again, this is one message, one point in this message. We've got to focus on what Christ has done for us. What has Christ done for us? And so when it comes to finding joy, we're going to make sure we don't derail ourselves. We're going to make sure that we don't fall off the tracks. We've got to make sure that we guard our faith. Paul was happy to keep reminding us of these things because he knew how critical it was for us, how vital it was that we would stay on track and to stay on track we've really got to stay connected to Jesus. See, Jesus, he says, and what Jesus has done in my life is the source of my joy. I can't find my joy in what others think or what others say or what others do around me. I can't find my joy, says Paul, in where I was born, which family I come from or the qualifications that I carry. I can't find my joy in anything except Jesus. Not rocket science. But, but there's a risk for us in the church. As we do this life of faith, as we become a billboard for the community, we've got to make sure we're walking in joy. We've got to make sure we're walking in a way that demonstrates a great advertisement for the kingdom of God. And so we've got some, we've got some keys for you that I want you to see in the Scripture. And some of you are going to find keys in one verse, some of you are going to find keys in a different verse, but what I've prepared is something for all of you so that you can head away and do something about that. Before I do, let me just read verse 8. Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
Let's say that again. Everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage, so that I could gain Christ. This is what Paul's writing to us in this verse. And now, like I said to you, I've been studying this this week in five different translations. And one of the ones that I always go to look at, because my mum used to love the Amplified Bible. She used to read the Amplified Bible. She used to study it. She used to talk about it. And so it's one of the ones on my list that I go and compare with. So the Amplified Bible, I sometimes joke that it's the female version of the Bible because it's got lots more words than uh, any other translation. Uh, but I would never say that in public. But, um, but it often speaks a bit louder. And so just so you know, the Amplified Bible is a translation that has been approved, but they've added to explain things to you. They've added words to help us in the English language gain the nuance of the original language. I'll give you an example. Let's look at that verse that we just did. 3 verse 7. Paul writes this, and this is the Amplified Bible. You can see the little note down the bottom corner. Whatever former things were gained to me, as I thought then, these things that once were regarded in merit, I have come to consider as loss. Another translation says liability. Absolutely worthless. Why? For the sake of Christ. And what is the point of having life in Christ? The purpose which he's given my life. So I'm just showing you that we have one version of the Bible that uh, tends to go after the words. This one is trying to help us understand the meaning. So what I've prepared for you is something to help you understand the meaning. So if I could get my uh, lovely assistants to hand out. Uh, yesterday I decided that a message without application is no good. Does that make sense? Like if I give you this message and you've got nothing to do with it, how have you changed? It'd be like a person looking in the mirror and forgetting what they look like in two minutes' time. So this is for you to take away and you to do is like a devotion. And we're going to look at Philippians 3, verse 7, 8, and 9. And you can do this during the week. You can find this in your quiet time. You can look at different translations of the Bible. And you can understand what God is saying to you. Because I can promise you this week, I've been trying to find what God is saying to me. All right? So we're going to have a look at the amplified versions of Philippians chapter 3, verses 8, 9, and 10. One of the things that I, I love to do as I do this is I try and find what, what, the, um, what, what the Holy Spirit is saying to me in the verse. So if you have a look at, uh, well, let me, just, let me just point to the cover of the workbook so that you can see it. If we don't find our joy in Jesus, we're destined for lifelong disappointment. So let that be our reminder of why we're doing this. One of the things that I love to do when I look at the Scriptures is I try and find what God is saying to me in this. So I've put these on separate lines so that we could try and understand them. And I'm, I've done this before in night school. So those of you that have come to night school, you'll understand this process that I use really, really well. But the point is how we read the Bible is how we feed on the Bible. Does that make sense? How we read it, what we get from it, depends on what we look at. And I've just found this week that using the Amplified Bible has helped me to gain some insight that I then take back in prayer 
and God speaks to me about what I'm talking to him about. It's a conversation, and it's got to be a two-way conversation. We talk, and we listen in a conversation, and that's what prayer is. So let's have a look at verse 8 on the screen. More than that, I count everything as loss compared to the priceless privilege and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and of growing more deeply and thoroughly acquainted with Him. A joy unequaled, Paul writes. So I look at that verse and I say, well, what am I going to count as loss? What am I going to count as loss? Looking at that verse. If I'm using this translation to read the Bible, and I think to myself, what am I going to count as loss? What does that verse tell me to do in verse 1, in line 1? Everything. I'm to count everything as loss. Well, what could that mean for you practically? What if it meant your comfort? What if it meant your priorities, what you think is important in your life? Or what if it's what other people think is important in your life? What if it's your preference? What if it's your dreams, aspirations, and hopes? What if it's your identity and your job and your qualifications? Paul says, I count everything as loss. And in the workbook, it says in the, bo- in the second box on the left-hand side, what liabilities will I be exchanging so I can know Jesus more deeply? That is what you're exchanging. Ask him, is there one thing in my life, Jesus, that you would like me to surrender to you? And if you've got your ears open, you'll hear him. Because I've found when I ask God a question, he's happy to answer. What should I count as loss? What does it mean? Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's how you live your lifestyle. Interesting. But it's for you to go on that journey. For his sake, Paul writes, I've lost everything. I've counted it all garbage. Other translations use the word dung in there. Things that are not to be kept. So that what, here's the point. Behaviour in humans is all determined by what our motivation is. What is the motivation on the screen for you to do this? Have a look. Think about it before you answer. If you're going to change something or you're going to go through something that might not be comfortable, what is the motivation on the screen that might help you? So that I what? May gain Christ. Like Paul says, if I lost everything and gained Christ, that's to my benefit. We have to really ask ourselves the question that C.S. Lewis asks in one of his books, you know, are we the Lord of our lives or is Jesus? Tough question. Really tough question. Let's have a look at verse 9. Paul says that I may be found in him. I love that phrase, but it had to be explained to me, and that's why I used this translation. I want to be found in Jesus. It sounds like a religious phrase, doesn't it? You've never been in church before. You're like, what are you talking about? What does it actually mean? Why would you say that? And What is it? Well, look, believing and relying on him. That is what it means to be found in him. To be found in Christ is to be believing in Christ, but also relying on Christ. Jesus and everything he's done for us is all that we depend on. Not what I think, not what I feel. Maybe not even what I've believed up until now. 
What are you prepared to put on the cross? Not having righteousness of my own derived from my obedience, but possessing genuine righteousness. This is the key. Genuine righteousness that comes by faith. Again, this is the message of Jesus that is so different to any other religion in the world. Every other religion says, well, you've got to do this and do that, and then you might get accepted by God. No, no, God accepted you first. It's His righteousness. It's His that's, that's got, it's done everything for you that you receive on the basis of faith, not work. We've got, to, we've got to depend on that. So if you have a look at your workbook in verse 9, how can I be found in him this month? And you might want to write in there a reference to the Amplified Bible if you can't remember what found in him means. But what if Jesus wanted to guide you into a new discipline, something new that you could do this month? I found I was getting in a bit of a rut. You know, I'm pretty determined around my quiet times. I'm pretty determined about Bible reading. I'm pretty determined about worship time. But I found I got in a rut. And a pastor friend of mine, he said, look, the the first way to snap yourself out of it is to change your routine. The second way to snap yourself out of it is to read a different Bible. So I just downloaded a different app. I went to the Olive Tree Study Bible. It's in the ESV. It's got different notes to it. All the words are on different parts of the page. So I haven't got the familiarity, so I'm snapping myself out of a rut. What's my goal? To be found in him. How am I doing that? Taking charge of my behaviour to establish new disciplines. You know, we are talking about changing some of the songs at church at the moment. Why do we do that? Not to test you and to frustrate you, but to bring freshness, bring something different, bring new prophetic message from what God's saying to us as a church. We're not changing them all. We like to bring fresh songs. So what is this, verse 9? Let's go to verse 10. This is, um, I used to love this verse until I read the second half of it. Um, but but it's it pretty much my life verse, that I would know him experientially. Oh, this, this rocked me. Even last night when I was just going through my notes before today, that I would know him experientially. This has got to be the biggest um, buzz for me and all of my faith is it's not just knowledge, it's experience. I don't just know about him, I know him. I don't just know what he can do, I know he has done it in my life. So when I minister with people about freedom and breaking out of bondage, I know that by experience, because that's what Christ has done for me. When I speak about people um, having broken dreams and coming back to a place of submission before God, I know that because I have experienced what Jesus has done in that area of my life. And when it comes to counting it all garbage, there is a season in my life where I had to do that. And I don't have time to tell you about it today. But I had a a falling off my donkey season when Jesus came and did a deep work in me so that I may know him more thoroughly, acquainted with him, and, oh, understanding the remarkable wonders of his person. If you just spent the whole week just meditating on that one slide, that one part of that verse would change your entire perspective of your faith one-on-one with Jesus Christ, that I would know him experientially, becoming more thoroughly acquainted with him. What does even that mean? What does it mean to be thoroughly acquainted with someone? Think about that. What does it mean to understand the remarkable wonders of who Jesus is? These are delights that we find in Scripture. 
Verse 10 goes on, and this is what I used to love. This is why I used to love this verse. And that I would know in the same way experience the power of His resurrection. Hallelujah, man. I'm all about the Holy Ghost moments. I'm about the supernatural. I'm about signs and wonders. I'm all about healings, prophetic outbursts, you know, people getting delivered from demons. I'm all after that. That's what our life needs to be on the billboard showing the the non-believers what they don't have in their life. That's what our lives should be like. And when we find that in Jesus, we find the joy that he's got for us. But like I said to you, this is really the first half of the verse. Because the second half of the verse, for those of you that have read it, would know that I may share in the fellowship of his sufferings. That's right. Being continually conformed. Yeah, that's the bit that bites. You know, it's like, hey, man, I want to lose weight. I want to get strong. But, oh, sorry, you've got to eat less and go to the gym. Oh, that sucks. Well, I want to become more Christ-like. Well, guess what? You should share in the fellowship of the sufferings. Oh, that sucks. Uh, yeah, it does. There's two sides to the coin. If I could get the band to come and join me, I think we're going to do that song again, more like Jesus. Because to find the joy, this is the thing, to find the joy, we can, we can make a mistake. And look, we all do it. I've done it. Where we find, try and find our joy in other people. And it doesn't work. It leads us into disappointment. It leads us into broken relationships. And it leads into all kinds of mess. We can get a little bit high and mighty because we've got nice shoes or we've got a good job. And we say, hey, look, I'm happy because I'm doing what I want to. Well, Paul says, guard your faith because that will steal your joy. That is not the source of joy that he has for you. What is the source of joy we've discovered this morning? Jesus is. Jesus is the source of our joy. We've got to surrender ourselves to him. We're going to do this song again, more like Jesus. And and I invite you to sing it as a prayer in response to this message because the final words have got to be of Jesus. Jesus says to his friends, which includes you and me, if you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way. If you try and hang on to your life, you'll lose it. See, the goal of life is not to be a loser. If you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. You know, my prayer in sharing this is not to bring condemnation not to make people feel stink, but to point people to Jesus. So why don't you stand? Let's start singing this song. Let's really sing as a prayer. Let's sing more of Him and less of us. Let's sing that we invite Him in. Make it your prayer today. To the world you created, training your crown for a cross. You willingly died, your innocent life paid the cost. Counting your status as nothing, the king of all kings came. Washing my feet, covering me with your.
morning I pray you bless your people with the joy of the Lord. I pray you bless your people with the joy of knowing you more than they know themselves, the joy of knowing you more than they know others, the joy of 
knowing what You've done more than what they could ever do. God, I pray that You'll bless them with the joy to, to go out wherever they are, knowing that they are the billboard for You and that the joy of the Lord is in them, that the joy of the Lord surpasses any circumstances or trial that they are facing because of You. God, I pray that the, the joy of the Lord is in them, that flows through them. God, that they know the joy of the Lord, the joy of You to let go of everything so that You can become everything. I ask Your blessing upon Your people this morning. That as they go out, the joy of the Lord follows You with every step that You take, every path that You lead down. That Your face, our faces show the joy of the Jesus. God, may You be blessed as we go out, as You call us to go. May Your Name be lifted up high. In Your precious Name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, thank You, Church, for coming. Thank You for being with us this morning. I pray You have an amazing week. I really am excited that the joy of the Lord will flow in and out through You. Look forward to seeing you in connect groups throughout the week and joining us next week for Family Table as well as another great morning together. So be blessed. May God bless you and keep you. Amen. Amen.